Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Bees Pod. My name is Ian Botterill and I'm really delighted that you chose to join us before the Bees kick off their latest season in the National League. On today's show we look forward to a very exciting season in a highly competitive league. We discuss issues on and off the field with the new backroom staff, uh, fans, supporters association, so on and so forth. Um, and we have a real deep dive into the squad and what we think will happen with the Bees this season. As ever, we really look forward to hearing your feedback on the show. So let us know what you think on Twitter. And most importantly, come on, you Bees. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Bees Pod. It's our annual uh, pre-season preview. Uh, my name is Ian Bottrell, your host, and I'm delighted as ever to be joined by my partner in crime, Mem. Uh, how are you doing today, Mem? I'm very good. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm very, very well. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, a bit of uh, a rest and getting away from London for a few weeks, but very much looking forward to getting back down to the hive when I'm back in town. Um, I mean, it's customary for us at the start of a new season to begin with lots of hopes, lots of aspirations, lots of expectations about the next nine months. But what would probably be a good thing to do before we get into that is just to kind of have a little think about what's happened over the past few months uh, in terms of the appointment of Harry Kuehl, um, the final appointment of Dean Brennan. We were only six months early with that shout. Uh, and obviously a whole bunch of reshuffling and changing behind the scene. So, Mem, first of all, can you just talk us through what happened sort of from the end of last season up to where we are right now uh, and your kind of thoughts on the restructuring that's been going on uh, with the club? I'm trying to think when we last spoke. Um, so I would say, well, as we were aware for a while that TK had interviewed um, Harry Kill and Dean Brennan in the past. Um, and it looked like at one point that Dean Brennan was going to be overlooked again. But then out of the blue, uh, we were shocked that that uh, Cleanthos not, not only hired Kill as head coach, he hired Dean Brennan as head of football. So... That was a bit of a that was a bit of a surprise, but actually, when you look into when you think about it, and what I know about Dean Brennan, is Dean Brennan's really big, loves recruiting players, and I think that was one of the sticking points to why he didn't get the job in the um, when he previously interviewed was that TK has this, had this model in mind of having an, an actual recruitment specialist, and I think Dean wanted to do both, manage the team and recruit. And from what it looks like in the interview we had that Dean did, it looks like that Cleanthos had come to him and sort of essentially said, look, this is the bit you really like. Why don't you try being a head of football and being the recruitment? And what's been really good about it, and I've had a bit of insight as well as to what's going on behind the scenes, but uh, Dean Brennan's been um, been given budget to actually bring in, I think it's a couple of, a couple of analysts, um, which is great. I mean that's beyond what we were, you know, we we felt was 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 you know was important for the club. But for for him to have two people, and from what I understand and what I've been told, um, he has he he basically finds or he sort of hears about players, and then what he does is he puts these two guys to work, and he's like, okay, tell me everything you know about these players, and these two guys will you know will watch video after video after video, and then come back to him with sort of synopsis of, you know, what the players got strengths and weaknesses, and then they go from there. And so from that, it looks like we've built up a quite a, um, you know, a bank of players that, you know, we're, we're interested in. And so far, I think the recruitment's been quite, I think the recruitment's been quite reasonable. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the recruitment? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll come to recruitment in a second. I think, first of all, in the backroom staff, there's a great photo on uh, the uh, the website of the sort of, you know, it looks like a sort of slightly old, slightly aging, slightly overweight sort of five-a-side team, which actually is our behind-the-scenes staff, because um, there are 10 of them. So we've obviously got Dean Brennan coming in as head of football, um, and then Harry Kuehl under him as head coach. And then just to kind of give you a run-through of the names, so Gary Anderson stayed on as head of performance. Ricky Bartlett, who I think Mr. Cleant has mentioned to us in his interview, previously worked within the Hive. He's moved over as sort of team logistics manager, which from what I understand is sort of looking after all of the logistics, which is quite a large job in, in, in a professional football club. So overnight accommodation, I'd imagine things around contracts, player care, etc. I think that's great that that's being professionalised because we know from previous seasons that hasn't been a, a focus. We've then got Dave Anderson staying on as goalkeeping coach, um, although obviously he had a huge amount of experience behind the scenes. Paul Butler is the first team coach. And then, as you said, we've actually got um, Oli Galloway as, as, a, as a physio, sorry to add in there. And then these three people, so Chris Raymond, uh, head of recruitment South, Michael Kenny, head of recruitment North, and Aaron Roberts, first team analyst, who seem to be under that sort of remit of Brennan. And I think what's absolutely fundamental for us and we'll come on to this later on in the show, is that the National League has changed. It is no longer, I think, the league that we won back in 2014-15. There are some serious clubs down here. There are a lot of clubs that are investing heavily, um, and there are not just clubs that are you, you sort of, you, you know, your AFC Files or your Salfords. There are clubs in this league who have huge fan bases and are beginning to think heavily about, um, you know, promotion, and we need to be able to compete with them. So I think what we're doing here in terms of building a, a slightly more secure long-term structure will bear through over the next three to four years. I think one of the things that people have rightly kind of picked up on is a potential issue. And it always is the case when you have a, a head of football and a head coach is is the kind of risk if things don't quite work out for Harry Kuehl early on. And we know from his previous few jobs, um, he was at Watford first of all, then went to kind of Crawley, which was a, a kind of successful job for him. And then at Notts County and Oldham, you know, he ended up getting sacked uh, within a season in, in both clubs. And he's definitely here, not as the last chance saloon, but certainly it's going to be difficult for him to get another job in professional football. This doesn't work out. Do you have any sort of reservations at all about potentially Brennan sort of hovering in the wings? Is there a risk that if things aren't going well this season, that TK might be, be tempted to sort of pull the, pull the trigger and, and slot him in sort of Mark McGee style? There's always that, um, that situation. But I think the idea is, is that Dean Brennan would step in, you know, and to keep steady the ship and it would be, but whether or not he would then move into that management role, I think, I think that's the point where you, you'll see whether or not Tony Kleanthos is serious about this structure is whether or not he says, okay, Dean, if you want to go into the coaching role, you have to, you know, you have to move out of your head of football role and we get in a head of football or, you know, th whatever that is. Or he might turn around and say, nope, you stay in your role. We're going to get, we're going to get head coaching again. So, I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, it, look, I mean, nobody knows if Dean Brennan actually is more of a manager than he was, than he was a coach. So, it, you know, so the situation might be that, that actually the skill set for what, the, what that role the head coach needs is it needs a, like a proper person on the, you know on the training pitch not somebody who is like you know overseeing like kind of Ferguson type it needs you know somebody who's going to like a pep you know who's going to sit on the go on the ch training ground so maybe Dean Brennan will never you know ever be the head coach so we you know I don't know I don't know what the dynamic is on the, you know what it, when when he was at Win, um, when he was at Wildstone yeah I, I mean I think it, I think look. We, we have been crying out for these changes for a long time, certainly you and I, I think, for four or five years. I'm really, really excited about it. 
Um, I do think it's going to be a transitional season, maybe a transitional couple of seasons. Like we're building from scratch and we'll come into the squad now. But, you know, at the end of the day, we can see here a commitment to a long-term structure, um, which is really, really exciting. And, you know, I, I think we'll bear dividends. We've essentially invested in an 11-a-side team behind the team, um, which is a far cry from the days of sort of Martin coming in and just doing it on his own with Graham Stagg as an assistant manager. And I think that reflects the changing nature of football, even in the even in the National League. As I said, I think it's a, it's a different beast to what it was a few years ago. But, man, let's come on now to the squad. Um, we have, we, you know, once again, we've completely gutted it. Um, and uh, we've kind of transformed it. It's, you know, probably the fifth and seventh year that we go into a season with a completely new squad. What have you made of the recruitment so far um, in terms of the profile of player? And also, what, what can we work out about Cure based on, on what we've seen so far this summer? So my first observation with it is it looks like all the players that have been recruited are London-based. So there's two things that pop into my mind about that. Um, one is that they are um, players that are not going to be having long journeys to get to training, be knackered by the time they get to training. They're going to be fresh um, if, they're only, if their journey time is going to be short. But the second thing is, is that, and this is something for, I, I learned about... Um, when Barnett almost signed Marcus Bean, who was at Wickham at the time. And it turned out at the time that um, when Marcus worked out his um, the amount of fuel that he was using driving to training at Wickham, he realised that, that what Barnett were offering him, which was seemed to be quite a lot less, was actually the same. And, he, and it turned out that he was prepared to take our, our offer because he would save on petrol. And he also would save on... Um, uh, and you know, and and it, and obviously the amount of time that he would have to spend on the road. Now I wonder is, can we get more value by by bringing in London-based players who don't have these concerns about you know spending hundreds of pounds a week on petrol to get to training? I know that sounds like a might sound like a silly thing to 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 um, to sort of pick up from that, but I, that's the that I, I look at that and think how, how many players last year did we probably pay more money than we should have because they were coming from Birmingham because that's where Flowers was seem to be recruiting all his players from and then this season like I mean you look at the, I mean you look at the the makeup of the team so the second so my other observation of the team is there's a lot of people that have won this league um who are within who have been recruited a lot of them from Leighton Orient admittedly but you've got people like Jamie Turley, Turley Joe Widowson um and then you've got um Oh, who was the other guy? There was another guy as well that I noticed noted had also won this league. But I think there's about three players in it who've won this league already. Um, and then you look at the players, there's a lot of players, there's a good mix of players that have got experience at this level. And then you've got some good young players who are coming up. Maybe they've dropped out of the league, but they're on their way up in their careers. So you've got like the likes of, um, uh, of Ke- uh, what's called, uh, Kian uh, Flanagan. And then you've got Serhat um, Tazdemadir. Um, as well, who are two like young players who are on, have come from league clubs, come down to sort of almost try and kickstart their, you know, uh, their careers. My only concern from looking at it is, is that some of the experience that we seem to have in midfield that we've recruited, like Josh, so basically Josh Payne and Mitch Brundle, I watched them in pre-season, um, and it was a really, really pedestrian centre midfield. So I'm hoping that it'll literally be one of them with some younger legs around them. Um, but yeah, and, and, and you know, we've we've recruited Adam Marriott, who's a class player. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen much of Mason Bloomfield, but he looks like he could be a good fit for our for our team. Watching the formation, 
Um, have you seen much of pre-season? Yeah, I, I've been to one game. I haven't. Um, I haven't been been in as involved as I would like. Um, but I've kind of tried to follow the players as best I can, like watching old clips of them, etc. I think one of the things that stands out is what again what we talked about in the past, going for a slightly smaller squad. So with the arrival today um, of our of our sort of new goalkeeper, uh, it brings us to a squad of around about with Sam Sargent around about 22, 23 players. Um, and then I did this on Beast Pod a couple of, you know, about a week or so ago. So the average age coming in at 23 years and two months, the range being 17 to 32. So we haven't signed, you know, a bunch of players that are really, really old, but we've got around half the squad. So in, now with sort of um, the new goalkeeper arriving, Jamie Sargent, we're looking at about 12 out of 22 players that have played in the league. And I agree with you. I think there's been a nice balance of recruitment um, in, in terms of the age and the experience, but also that hunger and youth. And I think where we've gone wrong in the past is kind of been in two areas. Firstly, you look at the sort of obvious example being Mark Robson uh, back in sort of, you know, 2011, 12, 13, where we recruited a lot of very young and talented players who just weren't quite ready to make that step up. So, you know, you're thinking like your Ollie Lees and Armand Abdullah and that sort of team that obviously got overwhelmed and then eventually got us relegated. Alternatively, we've gone for a bunch of players, which I think we did probably the year under still, of sort of very average National League players uh, who were sort of middling along and happy to take quite a lot of money to not do anything. So I think this year in particular, like the signings, Jamie Turley, Joe Widowson, um, I think are really good signings. At the back, you've got that experience. Um, and then I think, you know, that you add that in with players like, you know, I think Josh Payne's a good player, Mitch Brown's a good player. And as you said, going forwards, I think Daniel Powell's an excellent signing. He's a fantastic signing. And I think he's a sort of player... When you look at wingers, they often rely a lot on sort of pace, power. Um, you know, a lot of them are sort of, you know, I think in lower leagues can be speed merchants. And when their speed goes, they really lose their quality. But he is a fantastic footballer, Daniel Powell. He's 30 years old. He's going to have another two, three years in him. I think it's quite exciting. And as you said, like, we've got proven goals in that team. Adam Marriott, I think we knew another centre forward, but Adam Marriott's scored goals at this level. You know, he's 30 years old. I think we'll, we'll score a bunch this season. Um, Taz Demir, I think Peaceborough have got a fantastic eye for a player. And I think that relationship we've got with them, with Jack Taylor going there and a few other players in the past, will bear fruit. I agree with you about the one-dimensional midfield, but I think that's a, a problem we can fix in part through the shape. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm quite excited. I guess from, from your watching of pre-season then, in terms of players from last season, because obviously we looked last season at one of the, well, probably the worst season in the club's recent history, and we saw a bunch of players being written off. So, you know, Ben Nugent was a classic example. Um, also, Richard Everton didn't cover himself in glory the whole time. You know, even EMC, uh, Mason Clark, who I'm a huge fan of, didn't have a great year. Have you, do, do you think that any of those players will benefit from being in a new squad with a fresh start? Have you seen anything in pre-season that would suggest that those players are going to kick on a level? And will we kind of have the classic new signing of a player who, who finds a new lease of life under a new manager? Yeah, well, I th I know it's noticeable that, um, that Vasilu has played a few great, quite a few games in pre-season. Um, it's, I think Efren, he, um, I, I heard Harry Kuehl in an interview saying they're like really bigging up Efron. And Efron, I don't know if you remember, at the beginning of last season, Efron came right out of the blocks. Then he got hit with COVID and then he wasn't the same player after post-COVID. I think by that point, the team had like all the confidence been knocked out of the team. Um, but I do think that Efron has looked very hungry in pre-season. And I think out of all the players... 
Um, I've heard also we've we've also turned down a couple of bids for him. So it's clear that they, that he is in the plans because it would have been quite easy to sell him and you know and reinvest the money. But we we've actually turned down a couple of bids from league cl- uh, league clubs for Efron, and um, I I think he's got a chance. The one the I mean the two players I'm not sure about. Um, well, there's three actually. Funny enough, so I don't know if Harry Taylor was injured, but he hasn't. He doesn't seem to have been included that uh, that frequently in preseason. Um, personally, I think Harry in this f- current formation. So at the moment, it looks like it looks like Harry Kiel is going for a three-four-three um, formation with two very kind of mobile, uh, kind of like a square in the midfield, which it, you know with your two two players that are deeper and then your two sort of more kind of agile, mobile sort of um, attacking mids sort of playing in sort of like what I consider, what I call the sort of like left inside forward and the right inside forward behind, you know, uh, and then obviously having a, a big guy leading the line. So that that looks like it'll probably be um, Bloomfield who'll be leading the line with probably Marriott and then somebody else to the to the other side, probably Daniel Powell at the moment. Um and I think that, that Harry Kill would suit a bit like he did when he was with um I've forgotten his name now. He's been he's got James Dunn. Um, like he did with James Dunn, where the two of them were just two doggers in the centre of the park, winning, breaking up play and then giving it to somebody. Uh, a bit to be honest, actually, this the formation is not a million miles from what we were playing under Darren Curry. And that would suit Harry Taylor, but he doesn't seem to have played a lot. And but then I've watched M- Mitch Brundell and um I I don't see a player that is going to get us in the upper, you know, him and Josh Payne look all right, but I don't see two players that are going to are going to dominate midfields and take us into um, what's called take us into the upper half of the of the table. That I think for me looks the weakness, unless he intends to play some like Flanagan a bit deeper um, or Tasdemir a bit deeper because. Um, look at, uh, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but the other player I think might struggle is Sam Beard because it looks like Josh Doherty. Although Sam Beard did really well for us last year, he did as he looks like a very sort of you know traditional left back, and we're not playing with a four this season. It looks like all the players that have been recruited have clearly been recruited with uh, a three at the back with a wing back sort of style. And to me, Sam Beard doesn't look like a wing back, and it looks to me like Josh Doherty is going to be the number one with Sam sort of number two. And I, I get the feeling that maybe that deal was done before Kiel came in. I'm not sure. Um, but that's the person I think might struggle to get in this. And I think a lot of people anticipate Sam Beard to be a, a, a good player for us this season. I mean, I think that's, yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. And as much as it's, it just, it kind of just goes to show the importance of recruiting into a consistent style, because we've had this issue in the past where you have a couple of players who look really good under a certain system. A good example probably being actually Harry Taylor, but also James Dunn, who fitted a, a style of play and was very effective as a role in Darren Curry's side. But then when we kind of changed the style of play, was far more ineffective. Um, I think with Sam Beard and with Harry Taylor, I think Beard's a great example of a player who, as you said, yeah, is an excellent, is a left-back in a four. I think if we... And we know from Kuehl, um Brennan less so, but certainly from Kuehl's previous experience at Oldham, Notts County... Um, but certainly at Crawley, 
He's a manager that likes to play attacking football, that likes to move the ball around on the floor. Um, so I think it will be more akin to Curry in that approach. And with that in mind, you could probably afford for one of your back three to be a ball-playing centre-back. You probably need them to be. Um, they should be okay on the ball, but you, you know you definitely need a couple of players at this level where set-pieces are so important just to come and win the ball and clear out. Um, so there might be a role for a slightly smaller centre-back in there. Um, and you, know, you could say, for example, if you're going to put Doherty along that left-hand side, you might say there might be an option for Harry Taylor or, or Beard potentially to slot in somewhere in that back three. The other thing I would say, though, is in terms of Harry Taylor, like he's proven himself to different managers time and time again at the club. You know, He's on 134 appearances now. He's a seasoned campaigner at this level. His quality does come through. And like it is a long, grindy season, particularly when those pitches begin to churn up. And as much as it might be the case that Payne and Brundle sort of start off, you know, Brundle's 30 years old. Uh, he's 31 in November. Is he going to have the legs to consistently play week in, week out? Probably not, certainly in the second half of the season. So I think you, you have to be a little bit patient in terms of getting those opportunities. Um, I think going forward, it's going to be really interesting to see what he does because you could definitely have that sort of battering ram, again, Mason Bloomfield, which would help offensively and defensively. But similarly, you, you could see a situation where if we're, particularly at the start of the season, as you said, where the pitches are quite nice, you could almost have, and with that 3-4-3 system, you can almost uh, sort of, play a sort of almost a false nine and then push those two wide attackers if, if they for example were you had Marriott as the nine you had Mason Clark and Powell as the as the wide players and sort of play them in those sort of inside half positions with the wing backs pushing on there's a lot of flexibility you have with a 3-4-3 three, three. Um, and so I think when you're playing a 4-2-3-1 you, you generally want your number nine or you need someone to occupy to really really occupy those centre backs but I think with the 3-4-3 three, three, he, he could go about it in a bunch of different ways um, and I think if you're looking at that forward line, you, you know, you probably want to be starting Powell. You probably want to be starting Marriott. It leaves really another slot in there, whether you put Bloomfield there for some games and then Mason Clark for others. Um, it becomes quite flexible. I think the interesting thing as well is if it is a 3-4-3, the one area where it, it perhaps begins to get questioned is he has signed, I think, three... Well, he hasn't signed. He's got and he's played three quite diminutive attacking midfielders. So, you know, Vasilou, uh, Tazdemir, Flanagan, who are all kind of quite small, nippy players in the middle of the park. Where do you see those three sort of fitting into a 3-4-3? Three, three? Or do you think it will be the case that we kind of alternate between a three and a back and, a, and the four at the back, kind of between games throughout the season? It's a difficult one because because I think what the problem... I, I mean, I like I like the 3-4-3 three, three system playing with the two attacking midfielders. I, I do like that. Um because I, I prefer that than to having a two two up top and then a one behind. I like the fact that you've got um, because the two players, the two attacking mids, can can basically almost like they can pull wide and they can double up as well on the wide on the fullbacks and stuff like that on the other team. Um, but what that does do, and it's a bit like what England, what your situation you have in England when England play with three at the back, is it only really gives you slots for maybe three attacking players in, in out of your team. The only other option I can think of. Um, which potentially could happen, and I don't know. This is something I think has got could have potential. Is if you're playing with so at the moment it looks like so you know you're saying about the third, the left centre back. So it looks like at the moment that it's going to be Jamie Turley right centre back. It'll probably be Bennett Richards Everton centre back, like centre 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 back. And then it look from what I looked to me, it was Joe Widowson was playing the left centre back role because he's he is a left back or a left sided centre back. And it looks to me he's playing that left, like you said, the guy that can bring carry the ball out of defence 
from you know the left side, a bit like how Elliot Johnson played it, um, in that sort of way. So, and then you've got Josh Doherty on the left hand side. So you've essentially got four proper fullbacks. What is stopping? And I don't know. This is potentially something that could reinvent um, one of our players. What's stopping Ephraim Mason Clark playing as a right wing back? Obviously, he'll have Jamie Turley behind him to support him, and obviously, put you know if Ephraim pushes up, Jamie Turley can step across. I know he hasn't played, hasn't done anything, he hasn't tried this in, in um, pre-season, but it's a way of bringing in a more a t- th- more cutting, um, you know, thrusting sort of right-sided player, and adds a bit more pace to the side because that is one one thing that I've had from I've spoke to a few people who, who've been who've watched a few of Barnett's games, and. The ones, the main comment they've had is there's not a huge amount of pace through the side. There's a lot, it's very solid, but and so I'm thinking, how do we get extra pace into this side? Is it do we get it through the centre midfield? Do we get it out in the wide areas? And I just thought that you know could Efron develop into a right wing back? He's a right winger by trade. Could he not? Could we not use him in that way in, in a more attacking role? I think yeah, I like the sort of creativity there. I think you've got to be careful about. You know, the, the most valuable thing at any level of football is scoring goals. And Mason Clark, of the current players you've got in our squad, is in the top two or three players you want the ball to be falling to in the box. Um, I think he's quite a raw player. Um, and I think he's a sort of player that, if coached, could have a, a huge rise up. I mean, I think he's got some of the raw attributes to play League One level. Um, I think he's a better, you know, in many ways, he's a better finisher than some of the other players we've got at the club. I worry about pulling him back. And I think if you look at last season, a couple of areas like where he... And it, in part, it was because he didn't have the quality and talent around him, is that he likes to hang... He, he hasn't quite got that decision-making yet as to when to hang on to the ball and when to release it. And I think if you're, you know, if you're, if you're playing him in a sort of right-wing back position where that defensive kind of framework is so, so, so important, um, it, becomes, it, it, becomes, it basically becomes fundamental that you need someone in that right wing-back position who can defend and attack very, very well. I think the other risk we've seen with the with a sort of five at the back and the reason I've been nervous about putting or converting someone there from the start of the season is that we saw this under Flowers. You can, in theory, pin a five at the back back with three attacking players. So if you come up against, say, a 4-3-3 and they, you know, they basically pin back two very wide wingers and a centre-forward who plays there, they can kind of occupy three out of five and then all of a sudden they have a numerical superiority somewhere else in the pitch. So I think it's, and again, you know, I think, again, it, it comes back to the level of the National League. I think this year in particular, um, post-COVID, I think it's kind of gone up a few levels. You, you can't really afford to carry weaklings in the side. And I would be quite nervous about going into a, se- a, you know, a season with a fundamental role, which 3-4-3 relies so heavily on wing-backs. If you have one of those filled by a novice, it's just an obvious era, area to be attacked. And you look at what happened last year when we had... Ben Williams, who was just a weak link in the side, only just got targeted mercilessly, and, and all of a sudden you find, you know, your right wing back or your left wing back out of position, the whole back four gets shoved, shoved across, and there are just so many spaces in the box. So I, I would be nervous about converting there. Um, but I, I agree with you that we do need a bit more pace. And I think, particularly again at the start of the season, we know the National League is almost three seasons in one. You have that first spell from August through to sort of late October where the pitch is generally in quite good nick um, and, you know, that the weather's okay and there's so many games that are played, people forget just how relentless the season is in terms of Saturday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You then have that kind of period 
November through to sort of February time where the pitches, including ours, could be an absolute state. And again, there playing a 3-4-3 is very tricky because you're relying on your wing-backs getting up and down. And remember that Dover game from last year where we lost 3-0 or 3-1, you know, and it was just like a quagmire and it was madness because it basically turned into us playing two five-a-side teams, one in our own box, the other somewhere in the middle of the pitch lost and players sort of slugging between the middle. And then you had that final spell of the season where the pitch pick up again. So I think the one thing that I... I kind of really hope happens is that Kuehl figures out the National League quite quickly um, with the help of Brennan and, and kind of adapts accordingly because I think we've got players in there that can play in multiple systems. I guess the final question for me, man, before we move on is in terms of the squad building, do you feel that we are there? Do you feel that there's anyone or any position on the field that we need to fill? We obviously had that two-month loan today coming in um, for the goalkeeper, Sam Sargent. Is there any other areas of the pitch that you think we need to strengthen in before the season starts? Yeah, right wing back. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, the thing, the reason I brought up right wing back though is that obviously we got the CSA we've had. Apparently, there's been a budgetary reason why we can't bring CSA in, um, and he's looked good. But and this goes back to my point though, and I'm not going to labour the point too much. But my only concern with playing wing backs is I like the structure and I like the shape, but you have to bear it. You have to, like you said about the. the problem with the wing back system is that you can be pushed back into a five and typically if you push players back who are naturally defensive they'll dig in and they'll dig in and they'll defend first and foremost i personally which is the reason why i suggested f from i like to have at least one of my full, one of my wing backs to have somebody who's got a bit of end product because the problem sometimes you get is you get two wing backs who are solid but with but lack the quality in the final third, and that's my big worry about this team, is and it's the reason why I think Ciso might be a good signing because he looks like in the final third he has got end product. But whatever whoever we play on the right side, okay, need will need to have some end product because from what I've seen of Josh Doherty, he looks solid, he gets up and down, but he's not a winger. He's not an ex winger. He's a he's a fullback that can play as a wing back, and and there's a distinction there because sometimes you get players who come back from being a winger to playing wing back. But they'll have a bit of an attacking instinct. And and because they're, they're, them wide guys are so important, it's important that they, they contribute in the final third as well as in their own in their own, you know, in their own third fight the our defensive third. So that right wing back is crucial, I think, to make sure that this team's got penetration in the wide areas. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think as I said, it, it's positive. I think we look a lot more solid than we did previously. Um and you know, the recruitment we've had in previous years has been really, really poor. So we've got to be optimistic. Before we move on to looking at the sort of fixtures in the league in general, um, I'm going to ask you just to kind of just pull up uh, just two questions, Mem. So the first one is, um, who do you think uh, is is going to really become a key player for us that um, in this squad? Who do you think our, our number one player is going to be this season? Uh, I think Marriott. I think I think Marriott will be the one. If Marriott can get if Marriott can get 15 to 20 goals a season, then then he'll be crucial. The key player for me is actually going to be uh, Daniel Powell. I think, again, he's another one of those players that's a little bit older. So he's 30 years old, just turned 30 a few months ago. And I think if he can, if we can get anywhere near the like the player he was at, at Milton Keynes, etc., um, we're going to be in for a shout. But Marriott, you know, 75 appearances or so in National League, you know, 14 goals um, scored in the, in, in, the, in the league as well. I think he's going to be an excellent player. And the final one is, of the players who were here last season, and there's not many of them, who do you think is going to be a sort of like a dark horse to kind of spring forward and have a really good season for us? Well, you know what's going to happen. 
is Nugent's going to suddenly be like the best player that ever existed, don't you? It's gonna it's gonna happen, isn't it? It's it's, it's open. It's, it's the fact that he's still here means and, and the fact that he's played quite a lot in preseason. I, I, I've got this I've got this sneaking suspicion Nugent is suddenly gonna suddenly get good. Well, I I mean I, I do remember last season. I think it was the the, the nadir of my year was catching COVID on Christmas Day, watching Barnet on Boxing Day. Uh, from my living room and watching us get absolutely taken to pieces by Boreham Woods. And I think, sorry, excuse me, I think the defensive performance of, of Nugent and Bill and Williams was, you know, enough to make anyone catch COVID. It was, it was appalling. I think, but, and I think I put this tweet up on Twitter a few years, you know, a few months ago, sorry. If you look at his stats from, albeit three or four seasons ago, he was one of the best ball-winning centre-backs and ball-progressing centre-backs in League Two, uh, Stevenage. And albeit under under a very specific system and style of play, I think there is a player in there when he's structured and told what to do very very clearly, um, and I think he's another player that could really really benefit from playing in a three at the back, Nugent, um, where he's got a little bit more protection than perhaps where he would be left in a two. Um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I think Nugent will be a good player. I do think um, if if Kuehl can work some magic, Mason Clark I think could be a, a really phenomenal player. The other one I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on his Wes um, in terms of recovery from his injury and potentially Vasily, although I think it's probably a little bit too soon for him. Um, but before we move move on then, let's uh, let's have a look at, at the kind of league in general and, and how we see Barnet fitting within it. I mean, let's just look at the, some of the sides in there. You've got Wrexham, Stockport, Notts County, Chesterfield, Grimsby, Southend, Torquay, some really big uh, ex-league uh, teams in there. And that's kind of reflected in the odds Barnet coming in at around 50 to 1 to win the league. Just for reference, that's two thirds of the way down the list. I mean, Mem, I know you're going to say seventh already. Do you get the sense, but before we come on to predictions, do you get the sense that um, we are in a league that is significantly stronger than it was in the past? Or do you feel that actually, if you look beyond the names, the National League is the National League is the National League? That the, you know, the. The old, you know, the old club of, um, you know, the old chairman's club of keeping only two relegate, you know, two relegation spots it means that there's a bottleneck down the bottom of the league where you get really rubbish teams that manage to save themselves every year, which was which was us for about five years, um, you know, and they managed to st- stay in there. And I think that the national league below it has become really competitive and really st- and a lot stronger. And I, I reckon, I, I actually genuinely think the top half of the national league is probably stronger than the bottom half of the division two, um, because so many clubs have been allowed to be. I mean, look, Stevenage managed to stay up, didn't they? Having like what three? They won three games all, all year, and they stayed up because of you know of, of trickery and stuff like that, you know. And um, uh, you know, so I, I kind of feel like that. This is this season is looking really strong. I mean, when you look at who's invested, I mean Chesterfield have invested. Stockport have got, you know, ridiculous like spending ridiculous money. Um Torquay were unlucky last season. Um you're gonna have um I mean Eastleigh will take points off teams. I'm not sure Eastleigh will be up near the top, but they're solid, they're like a solid progressive team that have just managed to stay, you know, stay consistent. Dagenham I mean, they towards the end of last season they started to really come up, and then you look at they've got Josh Walker and Paul McCullum up front this season. I mean, that's forty goals there at least. You know, just them two. I mean, that's the thing when you look at firepower like that, forty goals. You can pretty much guarantee those two will get forty goals next season. Um, 
you know, yeah, and, I think th- and they've th- got experience th- for their side. No, sorry to cut you off there, man, but I, I think the other side that I think obviously have spent a huge amount of money with their Hollywood investment is Wrexham. And, and you know, yes, you look at Paul Mullen, who, whose goals, I think he got sort of 25 odd goals last season at Cambridge United, which put them into League One for the first time in a long while, um, had offers from other League One clubs, um, but elected to go down, obviously, for financial reasons to Wrexham. You know, they have recruited with Phil Parkinson in charge a squad, and I think I said this on Twitter the other day, that could challenge at the top of League Two. Um, obviously, it would take a while. And I think if we look back a year ago, and we discussed this on the pod, where we were saying that some teams were seeing the weakness from COVID financially as a chance to re-strengthen their squads. And a classic example of that was Dagenham, who went out and, and spent quite a lot of money on some decent players. It didn't quite work out for them last season. It will take a year for some of these squads to gel. But I think you're right. I think Wrexham, I think Chesterfield, with the signing of Shamanga, is going to be, you know, th- those sides are going to be very, very difficult to stop. Um, and if you even look at the sort of, you know, the, the players, the firepower you've got in there, a lot of players in, in, you know, strikers in this league will have been, you know, top quality League Two players or even League One players. You've got Paul Mullen, obviously, Scott Quigley. You know, Paddy Madden's another one who was firing them in for Yeovil a couple of years ago. Uh, Shimanga, Danny Rowe, Reese Murphy. I mean, you've got some fantastic firepower in there. You back that up with the, the financial investment. I mean, the side that we start off with on Saturday, Notts County, have kind of done a similar thing to us in terms of sort of restructuring behind the scenes. Their, their coach, Ian Birchnell, uh, came from Ostersons, which was a club that Graham Potter was at, the manager of Brighton, before he moved. And they've kind of been bought out by, I think it's called Radar or Stats Radar, basically some sort of analytics firm that will look at their kind of data and numbers and uh, kind of, you know, they're looking to build a new model, a sort of Brentford-style model to work their way up through the league. I just think it's a hell of a lot more competitive than it was when we won it. I guess that takes us on to the obvious question then, then, which is we'll get into the sort of start of the season in a moment. But if I just go through the, the list of names, just for those of you that aren't aware, you've got obviously, so you've got Wrexham, Stockport, Notts County, Grimsby, Chesterfield, Southend, Torquay, Solihull, Dagenham, Yeovil, Bromley, Halifax, Eastley, Boreham Wood, uh, ourselves, Woking, Maidenhead, Aldershot, Altrincham, Weymouth, Weldstone and Kingsland and Dover. Obviously, you've got a couple of sides at the bottom there, Dover, Kingsland, Weldstone and Weymouth, who in my predictions I've got quite low down. But realistically, you're going to struggle, I think, Mem, to find 10 teams in that league that are worse than Barnet, at least on paper at the start of the season. I agree. But I think one thing that will happen this season, and I think because of the strength of the division, I think the teams are going to start taking points off each other. So I'm not sure that this season will be won, the the league will be won with as many points as previous champions. Because I think every, there's there's so many teams that have got such strength and firepower. I can see teams taking points off each other. Um, Is there a chance that we can sneak in there to finish seventh? Um, You know, uh, having (laughs) done, uh, you know, so who knows? But the thing is, though, what you got to remember is that the structure of our team. There's a lot. There's several players have won this league already. Um, in our, in our, in our, we. I mean, look, we haven't got any. We haven't got. A, we haven't got tons of eye-catching signings. But what the team is, looks like is that there seems to be a. When I look at when I look at our squad, I don't know what about the other squads. I don't know what the, the the makeup is. But when I look at look at it, I look at the fact that we've got good cover. Good cover at centre back. We've got. Two, you know, two. Um, what's called? We've got virtually two players for every position. 
um, which 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 mean which will allow us um, throughout the season that if we do get injuries, that we'll have we'll have enough cover to just keep keep it mo- moving. And I kind of feel as well that that within our team, the levels of the players are, are of a similar level, so that we won't see huge drops in in quality. Um, you know, there'll be the odd one, but there will you know. So I kind of look at it and think that we'll be quite a solid, steady team. Whereas you do wonder that if you know, for instance, say Paul Mullen um, gets injured in the first week. I mean, you know. They, do do Wrexham have an adequate, you know, cover for him? So it's you know it's that kind of thing I'm looking at and thinking. Okay, yeah, they might have front loaded their team in terms of brought in these big stars, but you know if something goes wrong with them or somebody gets injured, do they have behind that the players to, you know, have they have they basically built a squad which can you know w- which can cover injuries to key players? Who knows? They could have just gone for the headlines. So. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there's definitely great. I mean, we've seen actually the, the kind of lesson of the National League is that small teams that are well organised outperform big teams that spend a lot and that aren't. And you know, if you look at teams like Boreham Wood um, and in previous years under Cowley Brothers Braintree, you know, there are sides that are consistently written off at the start of each season that just know how to win games at this level. And I think similarly, if you look at Grimsby, um, who are obviously coming down, um, and South End. You know, there in previous years, you would have said, "Oh, well, they'll be up near the top." I think you're struggling to find many people who think that they will threaten, you know, the, the top two, top three, and are more likely to sort of push for the playoffs. And um, I could see Southend struggling, to be honest. Yeah, and I think I think their recruitment, and obviously, there's a lot of off the off the field issues there with sort of Ron Martin and and what's going on with their fans. And I think that stuff can feed in financially. They're not in the best place. I think Grimsby is slightly better off having had Paul Hurst in charge. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I certainly don't think they're going to be anywhere near as ready as, as Wrexham, Stockport County, Chesterfield, Torquay, you know, Dagenham, etc. Um, before we before we sort of look at them at the start of the season, and I'm going to push you just for your predictions then. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, I and, and sort of within that kind of a, a kind of thinking around what success might be like for Kuehl. So I've got four questions here. I guess the first one is. Um, just relating to Barnet, where do you think uh, we will finish uh, this season? So if you were to say, you know, at the end of the season, when all's added up, where do you think the bees are going to be? Uh, I don't see I don't see us being in the playoffs. Um, but at the same token, I don't... I kind of feel like we're going to end up in that situ- in that kind of placing. You usually get them placings that are just outside the playoffs to about to about 10th. And it doesn't matter if you finish just outside the playoffs to 10th. It's, it, it's, it, it's a nothing sort of position. But I can see that would be in that little zone around there. I call it, you know, it's like the Eastley zone. Every year Eastley sort of finish in that kind of area, you know, between 7th and 10th. Um, and I think I can see us sort of finishing in that little zone um, around there. If we would, if some of our sort of better signings like Daniel Powell, Marriott, they if they start, to, if they perform... We could be on the on the fringes of the playoff, but I can't. I, I I think for us, if we can, if we get within five points of the playoff zone, I I consider that to be a progressive season. Yeah, I, I think I'm definitely slightly more pessimistic in regards to um in regards to where we think we'll finish. I do think the league is strong. I also think two other factors. The first one is that it just takes time for a squad to gel, and we are going into this season with a completely new squad. Um, in many ways, that's a godsend because a lot of the players last season were, were nowhere near National League level. Um, but I think that's one thing to bear in mind. The other thing is that it does traditionally take Kewl's teams quite a while to get going. So even under Crawley, they didn't necessarily start off like a house on fire 
you know, Notts County and uh, Oldham, he didn't quite get enough time. But if you look at Oldham, like he left them when they were 16th after I think 32 games it was. But they begun to sort of tick up towards the end and it was quite a surprise sacking in some ways because of that. I think it will take him time. And my view is that it will, it, this is a three-year project for Q. I think the first year is to stabilise the ship. I would actually go as far as saying if we're not outside the playoffs, I think between there and anything that's not a relegation battle is fine as long as we're seeing progress on the pitch and a kind of development of a, of a philosophy. I do think um, we're going to struggle to finish inside the top half. I think we're probably going to come in around about 15th, 16th. Um, but I do think that's progress. I mean, it, it shouldn't be overstated just how bad we were last season. Um, I think in regards to then on to a second question to the bees, what do you think is the kind of minimum expectation we should have of Harry Kuehl in terms of league positioning this season? Uh, to be honest, it's like I said to you, if, if we're not going to be going, if we're not, we're not going to be going in the playoffs, but I think the key, like you said, I think the key is that we are knowing that we need to be knowing like no, uh, no risk of being relegated or no risk of being near the bottom of the table. And I think we will be f- fine in the set in the middle of the table somewhere. Um, but I think the key to me is I think we need to see a some progress on the pitch. So in the same way that, you know, like how Darren Curry initially it was a bit stop starting and it was a very like uh, inconsistent to start with. And then over time, you could start to see that the players were like it was it was becoming intuitive to them what what needed to be done. And then the team started you started to see a flow to the team. And I think when you're looking to play a passing game like Kuehl wants to play, which is similar to to Harry to Darren Curry, um, is it does take like you said, it does take time for the, those players for it to be intuitive and for for those players to do automatically the the pre you know the pre planned moves and things like that. So if we start to see the team, there will be points where we like we'll throw away games, but if we start to see within games that we're starting to see a flow, we're starting to see a pattern of play. I think that's the key for me. If it's if it's like a John Steele thing where it's like really disjointed still, and we're not getting fit, we're not getting results, and we're not seeing um, a pattern of play, like you know, or a Tim Flowers where it just was there was there was nothing, you couldn't see any progress on the pitch. That's the point where you start to get concerned. But I think I'm hoping by the end of the season we'll be like, okay, this is how Harry Kiel plays. We can see his style, and all we need to do is we need to get better, and we need to put better players in certain positions to take us to the next level. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what's really important is that as fans, we, we give him time and, and space to improve. Like we've gone through, God knows we've gone through enough managers. My view is that even if it's not quite perfect, um, we just need to stick with something for a while because we haven't actually tried that. And, you know, even if it's not quite working, we've got enough of a backroom staff, enough of a backroom team to turn things around. I would happily accept a season of finishing lower mid-table just to build um, so that we can push um, push on next year. And as I said, I think um, you know building a football club from the ground up, which essentially is what we're trying to do here with a whole new backroom staff, a whole new squad, is a three-year project. And we just don't want to rush that and restart with with a kind of rushed appointment. I guess moving, moving, moving then just for the final bit of on-start, on um, of on-field matters, one of the potential challenges is, is the fixture list. I mean, if you kind of compare the bookies' odds um, with the start of the season fixtures for Barnet, we are playing um, a quite a few of the favourites. So just as a sort of reference point, we start off with Notts County at home uh, this Saturday. Um, make sure you're there. Make sure you get your season ticket I agree, yeah. uh, before the game. Um, uh, obviously by two o'clock. 
couldn't have them handed out before the game. That would be too much common sense. So we've got, obviously, Notts County at home. I'd imagine they're going to bring uh, a fair few down for that. And I think they are, uh, if you look at the odds on, on that, they are you know top three favourites there, nine to one to win the league. We then move from that onto Solihull away. Uh, those who might know Solihull as uh, this fantastic side that Tim Flowers built. They're not quite as fantastic as when Tim was in charge, but they're, again, predicted to kind of come in around the top eight or so. Dagenham and Redbridge, who are my sort of outside tip for um, the, the title, uh, are just outside that. Uh, I think Mem and I, we managed to sneak into that game last season, Mem, and we were very impressed with how they played. And then we've got Grimsby Town away, Eastley at home, Chesterfield and Bromley before we start playing some of the weaker sides. The, the, I think you know, the reality is that we couldn't have asked for a much tougher start. What are your expectations for those few games at the start of the season? And is there a risk that we start to sort of push the panic reset button um, if we are on a handful of points by the time it gets to middle of September. I see. Oh, for the funny thing is, I'm actually I'm actually a bit more optimistic um, having them a bit earlier because I don't think I don't think county so I don't think any of them teams are going to be up to full speed at this point in the season. So if we're not up to, if we're not up up to speed and they're not up to speed, then it's anybody's game. And I think it's quite good sometimes to catch the better teams early in the season. Because sometimes if you if you can nick a few points off them at this stage before you even had a chance to build up some momentum, and if you get through them games and you can get through... I mean, say, for example, right, a county at home. Say we draw county at home, Solihull, we go away, maybe draw. Dagenham, if we could beat Dagenham at home, I know they're, they're a strong team, but like I said, it's early in the season. Teams are still not up to full up to full, float, uh, full flight. And then you've got Grimsby away, which I think is winnable. You've got Eastley at home, which I think is winnable. Chesterfield away probably might lose that game. But then all of a sudden, you go into a bunch of fixtures. So if you get through that through that, and you basically the teams getting to know each other, teams starting to gel, then all of a sudden, at the point where you're sort of starting to see a bit of um, a bit of understanding, then you've got Bromley, Weymouth, Halifax, Kings Lynn, Dover, all very winnable games. So... That, that's the point. So the point, you know. So ultimately, I think actually having these these stronger teams early in the season could actually be work in our favour. Yeah, and I think if you look back to previous seasons, that's that's often been the case. I remember in the title-winning season we had in in 2014-15, we played Bristol Rovers at home on a Tuesday night. I think it was in August and won two nil. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that we wouldn't have beaten them later on in the season, but it just goes to show that sometimes having those early games can be an advantage. Um, but yeah, as you said, we'll, we'll have to see. The, the good news is we do get a run of, you know, after that tough opening seven, eight games, you, you've got Weymouth, Halifax, Kinsling, Dover, where you'd expect to pick up those points. I think in the final part of the pod then, final sort of 10, 15 minutes or so, let's look at um, some questions that have come in and then also some discussions of, of off-field matters. Um, we've got a great couple of questions that have come in um, from people and I think we've gone through most of them in regards to the squad and, and the sort of starting 11 etc but typically with Barnett we've got um, a few questions around things off the pitch um, obviously this pod is being recorded amidst the issues around the season tickets um, which for those of you that aren't aware um, you know weren't posted out and kind of quite inane and strange processes were put in place uh, to uh, kind of justify how we would collect them and there are other questions that, that kind of bounce off that in regards to still issues around communication and PR, etc. Obviously, with Adam going, um, we hope that the club continues his excellent recent work uh, despite his absence. 
And I guess it's a good time then for you to talk a little bit about uh, the Supporters Association, um, just for sort of full transparency. I'm not involved in, in any way um, with it. I, you know, I don't know much about it at all. Um, and Mem, I know you've been involved in the establishment of it, um, but it is obviously independent from BeastPod. I guess, Mem, first of all, can you just sort of talk us through um, what uh, what has happened with the Supporters Association and, and kind of where we're at? Um, and then I'll kind of feed in a few more questions around, you know, questions that I think I have and, and other fans might have as well. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, this all starts from the interview we did, um, we did the two of us with, um, with TK. So off the back of that, I think, I mean, obviously within the interview, um, Tony Canthos said that what one thing that he found was, was quite disappointing is the fact that there was, there wasn't a Barnet Supporters Association and he found it very difficult that it was, it was always a good way in the past for the supporters to have representation and communicate with him directly because I, I personally think, and I, and I agree with Tony Cleanthos on this, is that Twitter isn't, or social media isn't, a good a good way to check the temperature in a lot of cases. You do, on certain things, you, you can, but ultimately, the, the, noisy, the noisiest people, and I, I put my hand up, I'm one of the noisiest Barnet fans on, on social media, um, don't speak for the, the majority of the, of the fans. And I think where the support association works is that through the, through the system is you get representatives that can go to Cleanthos and have, and they can give him a better understanding of the whole supporters, you know, whole support base. So, so off the back of that, um, I got contacted by people, certain people and said, you know, you know, we listened to the interview. How do we go about sort of starting up, uh, you know, getting involved in support, sort of support association? Um, and my answer at the time was, I don't know, because I didn't actually have any plans to get involved with that. Um, but then I realised that there was, um, uh, there was, I noticed there was a guy on on Only Barnet, and it turns out to be Mark Whiteleg, and he was trying to recruit people to say, look, this is ridiculous. Why don't we have a support association? Who wants to join? Who wants to come together with me and see if we can get some of the ground? And then I had obviously Tony, uh, Tony told us one sec. <coughs> Tony told us um, that um, that Keith Doe had been in contact with him, and Keith Doe was an ex-chairman of the, the support association. Uh, support association. So I I reached out to Keith as well, and I said to Keith, um, you know, let's look. There's a few of us. There's a few people who are interested. I'm happy to be a bit of a fixer because I know a lot of you. Um, but um, you don't all know each other, so I'm happy to introduce, do a lot of introductions. Um, and um, and in the end, there was like, it came to sort of seven of us um, to start with. It took a little while for a few of us to get, to get, all to get, get everybody to the meetings, but recently, um, but there was, there was seven people basically. And um, there was a couple that I'd never met before. So Mark Whiteleg, I'd only ever spoke to him on email. And then Mike Riddle, who does um, the uh, Only Barnet, um, he does he hosts Only Barnet Forum and looks after it, and I think he does the admin for it. So he was another person I'd never met, but he was friends with. I think he knows Sam Collins, and I sort of know Sam just through Barnet Twitter. So um, so yeah, so we met up, and the way we looked at it was was very simple. I mean, initially I brought it up and I said, look, why don't we try and do it so that we can vote people in? But then we've sort of come to the realization that it'd been so long since the support association had happened that if we go through the, the trudgery of of trying to elect people and get people to come forward, that it's going to take ages to get off the ground. And the feeling was, is let's get it off the ground, um, let's get it moving, and let's take this, and then we'll take it to the to an election, and we'll have an election, 
and then the idea is then is that like so, so for instance myself and sam collins said quite early on our main goal is that we just want this to get up and running and we will be members and we will help out but we don't actually want to be committee members forever we're not interested in that but some of the others were more interested in actually being part of this like going forward so what so this week we ended up we um we voted in mark uh, whiteleg as the interim chairman of the barnett association football association and i'm i'm the interim secretary mainly because i'm just doing a lot of the organizing and the organizing the dates for meetings and you know but essentially um so commu- doing some of the communication stuff around sort of Twitter and social media. Um, and so we've all got sort of little roles. Mike is doing the website and we're sorry, Sam's doing the website. Mike's doing only Barnet. Um, there will be, there'll be some graphic stuff done. So we've all got little jobs to do. Carla's do writing stuff for the program. Um, so, so we've all got a little job, but the idea is, is that we will be taking it to, it's going to be a democratic process. We, we want, uh, we've also got, we've also invited another person, and we're just waiting to see um, wh- what he says. But we also wanted somebody who was representative of the local community within um, near the Hive, because we felt that there was no that we needed to. That's an area we need to work for the support base. So hopefully we'll invite them on, and then we'll be as people. So what I would suggest to people who are listening today is please sign up for um, the Sports Association, and please make it clear that you'd like to get involved, because we will be calling people into meetings and asking them to come aboard and there will be we're happy to have you know the the idea is the seven of us will be the sort of lead the lead this project and then other people will be get involved and then once it comes to the elections then that way we can actually do proper elections where people say you know what i want where the direction i want the support associ- support association to go in is in this direction please vote for me based on this is my vision and people will actually get and under- go well actually i want that guy because i like his vision or whatever, you know, or this person has been in the job, you know, has been doing it for a year and they've looked at what they've achieved so far. So the idea of the support association is that we're going to, we're looking at the low hanging fruit. So things like the season tickets. So um, this morning, uh, John Hunt, who's part of the, the, the committee, John contacted the club and, and, propo- and offered on our behalf that to the, the support association members will, will, um, will hand out season tickets to help the club if there is a problem with, um, with resource around sort of, you know, that's the, re- potentially that was the reason why, you know, they couldn't do it on the match and then the club actually changed, had already changed their mind, but stuff like that, where we'll be saying, look, okay, there's a problem here. Can we volunteer? Can we help out in any way? Um, we're looking to meet with Tony Cleanthos soon. Um, and there are some things on our agenda, things around the standing, like of at the ground, there will be, um, we're looking to have a base at in the Hive, um, hopefully in the legend stand. So this is all stuff we've got to speak to Tony Cleanthos, but he did actually say this in the interview that we did. So that's, we're looking to take him up on, you know, some of the stuff he said in the interview. Um, so there are a few bits of long hanging fruit, but the big stuff will only happen once there's an, an election. Yeah, it, I mean, it's great to hear there's some progress on it. I think everyone... Well, I can't imagine there being many people who are against the concept of having a supporters association. I guess in some ways you highlighted social media as being a negative influence, you know, in regards to um, uh, in regards to like kind of reactionary, amplifying voices, toxic stuff, abuse, etc., which we've seen not at Barnet as much as other clubs, but obviously people get frustrated with the players and with TK and stuff like that. One of the things that perhaps people might be cautious about is previous issues with support associations and obviously the 
the issue with the trust, which I remember quite well, um, kind of going along and to, I think it was in like a, a school hall, like with like a hundred other people and listening to this meeting about a trust. And that seemed to lead to a bit of a split in the fan base, which TK alluded to in his interview. How, how do you kind of, what are you thinking about in terms of the mistakes that other, not organisations, I think some great people have been involved with the trust and with the SA, previous SA. Um, is, is the kind of intention to avoid taking stances on big issues regarding perhaps the return to Barnet and things that we know spit the fan base and instead focus on more operational things? And I guess how will you kind of navigate the fact that the supporters aren't necessarily kind of like a completely coherent united group at the moment? No, it's a good it's a good point. I mean, the first things first is that we are not going to look to become a trust at the moment. Um, we're not even looking to at the moment we're trying to keep the reason with the support association is free is that we're trying to keep um, any complications around organizational complications um, around sort of holding money and things like that. Um, because ideally, we just want to sort of get supporters together first and get ideas from supporters and, and identify things that we could tick off quickly. So what what stuff is nagging that we can talk? So things like the season tickets. What what you know? Why can't we have the season tickets? You know, pick pick them up on the day. Why can't they be delivered in advance? That kind of thing for the future is important. Just you know, you know what it's like at Barnet. There's certain niggly things that a lot of people are just it's just annoying. Things around the, things around the beer and things just the the general. Also the the, sp- the experience, the sp- the, the this, this match day experience, that kind of thing is, is some of the low-hanging fruit we can cover. We can't stop somebody coming in and getting themselves elected um, you know, on a on a divisive platform. But the only thing we can do, and this is why I suggest that everybody is to sign up, is the I know that the trust is a lot I don't know the tr- the full ins and outs of the trust of what went on. I've heard a lot of sort of secondhand commentary on it. And I know that some people feel that that that, that the the, um, the 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 rhetoric around the trust it was a bit unfair and over the top. All I know is though is that at the time there was a lot of apathy, and what happened is is they the people who had that vision of the trust of, of staying in Barnet beyond, you know, they had to stay in Barnet, and then eventually walked because they because we moved because we moved to the Hive. Um, happened because there was a lot of apathy amongst the supporters base and they managed to get themselves voted in on very small numbers because people weren't voting, people weren't really engaging. So th- the one thing I would say to anybody listening to this is you, you, we all need to be engaged. We need to have a lot of people join the support association, as many Barnet fans as possible, so that way when we do have elections, that the elections are quite you know um, emphatic and in terms of people who are getting elected on 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 big numbers so that we could so we know that pe- so the people aren't sneak you know not sneaking is probably not the right word but people aren't coming in off on you know with like uh with agendas that are divisive um that you know that alienate the half you know a bunch of uh, the most of the supporters that the people coming in will be voted in because the supporters feel that they are the best you know all the supporters feel they're they're, they're the best bunch of people to lead the support association so that that's one of the big thing. One of the big things is, please join the thing. At the moment, the, the we're at about 135. The last time we saw, and I know that's nowhere near enough. I mean, we've got 250 people just following us on Twitter. So there are a lot more. Pe- a lot of people haven't signed up, and it's free. So sign up, and then you'll get a voice. There's on the 
when you're going to sign up, you can put that you want to get involved. You can put, you know, you can put questions to us. We've got, I've, what we've done on Twitter is anybody follows us on Twitter, we follow you straight back. And the idea is that you can always direct message us with any, any ideas. And if you're not online, the idea is that we're going to try and see if we can get um, Tony Kleanthos to have maybe some sort of suggestions box in the legend stand so that you can put your, your you know, put uh, requests in there to us. Um, and then we'll put our pictures up on the website in due course so that if you saw us at the ground, come and talk to us. If you've got ideas, tell us and we will, you know, we'll take it all on board and, you know, nothing's a bad, nothing's a bad idea. But the idea is we just want to be as inclusive as possible, engage as many people as as possible. And we want to really sort of, you know, just reinvigorate the supporters base. And a lot of people have been quite, you know, um, have been very um, enthusiastic about it. So it's, it's been really good. It's been really good to see. Yeah, I think what will be great is it is it is necessary, and I think if you are someone who is not um, necessarily keen on a support association or apathetic towards it, like you're exactly the sort of person that I'd imagine you guys would want to join. Um, and and so yeah, I think it's one of those things that a bit like a union, that the more people that are involved, the better. Um, and I think if nothing else, the years that we've had since the previous support association with the trust, so on and so forth, have have been a time where a lot of people have commented on how supporters have become more dissociated from the, the club. Um, and I think actually, to be fair, it's easy for the club to kind of make decisions that aren't necessarily in the interest of all supporters. A great example being the season ticket thing when there isn't a clear channel. And so, you know, with the stuff that's on social media, it becomes very easy to kind of lump all criticism into a cynical gastry that is just like, you know, oh, just these supporters that don't appreciate what I'm doing. Whereas actually having a more coherent, and sort of structured communication with the club um, is hopefully a real positive step forward. So, as I said, you know, just to be really transparent, like I'm not involved in any way at all. Uh, that's almost certain. Well, it's definitely a good thing for everyone involved. Um, but I think we'll we'll just kind of throughout the season as we do our uh, our podcasts, etc., and kind of always try and open up a bit of time to to talk about things that are going on there. And I think one of the plans that Mem had, and I, you know, definitely support would be having perhaps a specific bees pod that maybe is with the support association just so people can kind of hear their views um directly as well um well man we, we're coming up to to well over an hour of, of uh, information for people to listen to i'm sure if you haven't fallen asleep already uh, you will do very very soon um but i guess before we before we go kind of on a scale of one to ten how optimistic are you feeling ahead of heading into the new season uh, we've got uh, a new coach a new backroom setup hopefully a new sports association. Not sure if we've got a new kit, but we might have one of those and lots of new players. Um, how are you feeling this season going compared to going into last season? And um, most importantly, you know, how much are you looking forward to getting back into the hive um, you know, with, with everyone else and, and supporting the bees? So I'm at one to 10, I'd say I'm probably at a seven. I'm quite, I'm quite you know, solid seven. Um, if we get a good result on Saturday, it probably might go up to an eight. Um, I hope we don't have to play in skins on Saturday. Um, so, you know, hopefully we'll have a kit by Saturday. Um, and yeah, I, I am excited. I'm, I'm, I'm for, sadly, um, I, I can't make Saturday's game, but the wife booked the, uh, booked that slot, uh, weeks and weeks ago. So I, you know, before, before the season, before the fixtures came out. So, but I will be at the Dagenham game, uh, definitely. Um, so if anybody sees me and wants to have a chat about the support association, come a, come and come and speak to me. Um, 
be what I'm always happy to chat with anybody. So yeah, so yeah, I'm very looking. I'm looking forward to getting back to the hive. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, really, really excited. I think the other thing, I, the final thing I'd say is that obviously this season we're we're resuming the the high fives, um, which um, I think are awesome and a great way of sort of getting a quite a coherent summary of the game from um, you know who, whoever was there. So if you want to get involved with that, do let us know. We've got a, a regular roster of people, but we love hearing new voices uh, on the bees. Um, I'm really excited. I'm you know with with coaching commitments and various bits and bobs. It, it is difficult for me to make games, but. Um, I'm really excited to follow the bees um, as much as I possibly can, get to games whenever I can. Um, and most importantly, like really, really enjoy what hopefully will be an exciting season for the club. Um, so we, we say that every year, but I think this is one of the years I feel where, you know, a little bit of a weight's been lifted on our shoulders um, with regards to a fresh start following COVID. Um, and it's just nice to go in there with not super high expectations around promotion or super worries about relegation looking forward just to playing some good football and, and seeing where we end up um but man thank you so much uh, for joining me as usual we'll try and be back as much as we can we say this every year um yeah. we're better some years than others but um it's it's been really good fun looking at this season with you uh, and fingers crossed uh, we get through the first few games and have a, a really enjoyable season on and off the pitch definitely mate um good to speak to you mate yeah take care thanks man thanks a lot